0: So it's a new month. That means it's a new series. I'm excited because this series is near and dear to my heart because of what God has been doing in my heart. And I'm calling it Recycled Grace. Recycled Grace. Now, as I was contemplating and thinking through what I think God wants to do, the thought started to break into my mind. You know, we recycle plastic, we recycle soda cans, we recycle bottles, we recycle them because we need to reuse them. So as I was thinking about the process of recycling, I began to realize, wait a minute, that is how God's grace operates because I am in a constant need of his grace because of my life. Now, if I'm to be honest with you, sin still catches me more often than I admit. Amen, somebody. That sin is still alive, sin is still real in my life, and every day I still need to plead and and, and claim the grace of God. Because without the grace of God, I would be lost. That's the reality of the moment. So as I was thinking through and studying and planning and reading through the book of Judges, I saw that If there is a place where we see God's grace recycled again and again, it is a book of Judges. The key phrase in the book is, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. They did evil again in the sight of the Lord. That is, they repeated the cycle of evil and God had to respond. And how God responded was he would send an Othniel, he would send a Deborah, he would send a Gideon, he would send a Jephthah, he would send a Samson to help his people to come back to him. Now their repentance and reformation would only last as long as the leader was alive. As long as the judge was alive, that is how long their repentance and reformation lasted unfortunately that is our situation as well that sometimes we are committed to god for a specific season we're committed to god for a time but then we are back to the same thing and so god had to recycle his grace again and again i believe that the book of judges is going to touch us at some place you will see yourself somewhere somehow in the book of judges And as we study together, I want you to pay close attention to how God is going to be speaking to you. But you see, I'm not here to tell you about the grace of God. We know about the grace of God. We know that God is good. We know that God is kind. But I'm here to impress your mind with the idea that the grace of God should impact us in such a way. My aim is very simple. And I borrow the aim of Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse number 1. This is what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that the grace of God may abound? He says, certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? My point is very simple. The grace of God should touch your heart so much that you are now a new person. You're no longer the same person. You are a transformed, a changed person because you've embraced the grace of God. We're going to begin our study in the book of Judges in chapter 2 and verse number 1. Judges chapter 2 and verse number 1 to verse number 5. Welcome to Recycled Grace. Uh, I, and i am be reading from um, Judges chapter 2 uh, verse number 1 in the New King James Version. You know, sometimes I study so many different translations When I'm preaching, I have to stick to one, the New King James Version. The Bible says in Judges chapter 2, verse number 1, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you haven't obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? God likes to ask questions sometimes. Why have you disobeyed me? Therefore, I also said, God's response, I will not drive them out before you, but there shall be thorns in your side. And their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel. That the people lifted up their voices and wept. They had a pity party. Then they called the name of that place Bokim. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people. The children of Israel went each to his own inheritance. To possess the land. You see right here in this text. God is complaining about unfinished business. I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you to this place. I expected you not to make any covenants. But you haven't done it. You haven't finished my business. Allow me to impress your mind this morning. With the concept unfinished business and finished business let us pray heavenly father we pause please help us to understand what you want us to understand because if you don't help us hmm, we're lost if you don't help us father we are we're a basket case if you don't help us lord we have nowhere to go so father we are knocking on your door i'm knocking on your door this morning speak oh god in jesus mighty name i pray Amen. And finished business. So check this, Elder Ray. Uh, Joshua has done his part. That is, he has led the people from the wilderness to the promised land. Joshua has done his part, Andre, because he has allowed them to break the back of their enemies called the people and the city of Jericho. Joshua has allowed the people to see that if God is on your side, mm -mm -mm, if God is on your side, there's nobody who can be against you. Uh, Now, God comes to Joshua and tells him this fantastic news. Fantastic. I say fantastic. He says, Joshua, it's time for you to die. It's time for you to die. Because it's time for you to die, you can no longer continue to lead these people. Because you're not going to be around. I want you, going I hope you're showing this on the screen, I want you to divide the land. I want you to make sure that everyone called Israelite has their portion of the land. Uh, you see, I love God. Let me just pause right here. Because when you are his child, when you are his son, when you are his daughter, you have a piece of the pie. You have a piece of the land. So Joshua says to his people, uh, to to the Israelites, I'm giving you your piece of the pie. Here is it. They owned it, Elder but they didn't occupy it. They had a license, but they had not yet utilized the license to the land. They had a title deed, but they had to build on the land. But in order to build on the land, they had to... Expel the inhabitants of the land. In other words, they had to serve an eviction notice to those who were living on the land. Joshua had done his part. It was time for them to do their part. But he gave them a promise. He says to them, the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out from your sight so you shall possess the land as the Lord God has promised. Allow me to tell you something about the grace of God. You see, grace is a response to God's activity for you. This is what Joshua is telling them. All you need to do is to respond to what God is going to do for you. God is the one who is going to evict them for you. God is the one who is going to destroy them for you. God is the one who is going to fight for you. All you need to do is to be the boots on the ground. All you need to do is to be the ones yielding the shields. All you need to do is to be the ones holding up the swords and wearing the battle helmets. All you need to do is to be available for the opportunity that God has provided for you. I don't know if I'm preaching this morning. You see grace is simply us responding to God's opportunity on our behalf. Grace is to say lord you did it for me lord you stepped in for me therefore i'm going to stand up for you is somebody here this morning is somebody hearing me this morning that the grace of god is simply your response to god's activity for you just like a basketball court is an environment where people allow, where players allow activity of gaming to go on, where players allow activity of sporting to go on, you need to be an environment in which God can operate in. You need to be a place where God can show himself mighty and powerful to you. Because if God is not able to operate in your life, If God is not able to work in your life, guess what? You cannot destroy the enemies in your life. You cannot conquer the enemies in your life. And Lord knows, that I'm speaking to brothers and sisters, speaking to myself, that we have enemies in our lives. We have challenges in our lives. We have problems in our life. We have issues in our life. And unless God is able to operate in our lives, unless we create the environment necessary, God cannot help us. You see, the Israelites understood that it was necessary to get rid of the Canaanites. Because the Canaanites, they worshipped Baal. Baal was the god of fertility. He was the god of rain. We may not appreciate this so much but let me help you to appreciate it. You see for you and I, we go to Grand Lucky or Carrefour or Farmer's Market to buy our produce. You know what I'm saying? We go to these places. We don't farm. We go to an office and we make money. We take that money and deposit it in a grocery store. We get our broccoli. We get our salad. We get our cabbage and that's how we do it. But in the time of the Israelites, they had to go out to the farm, they had to plant, they had to irrigate, and so it was essential to have rain. And so, they believed that if you worship this Baal, this God, he would give you the rain that you needed. Not only that, he would make you fertile and give you many children. And so, it was irresistible not to worship Baal. And you know how they worship Baal? They will go to a, 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 a the temple of Baal, and they would find a temple prostitute, they would have sex, and then and they would offer a sacrifice and, and then they'll go about their way. So you got two things from Baal: you got fun and you got prosperity. But God understood, hear me carefully. God understood if they continue to worship Baal, if they don't get rid of the people living in the land, guess what's going to happen? The Israelites are gonna catch the disease of Baalism, the israelites are going to also be influenced by by baal and they're going to worship him and this is what's going to happen this is what's going to happen because baal is worshipped god is going to be bankrupt because baal is worshipped god is going to go out of business and so they understood that the canaanites have to go They understood that these people have to go. Because the people come with their God. The people come with their habits. The people come with their lifestyle. And if we keep them here. If we allow them to stay. They're going to infect us. And we're going to catch their lifestyle like a disease. We got to get rid of them. And they understood the importance of evicting the Canaanites. In fact, we are impressed by the simple fact that God wants uh, this uh, important task to continue, the Israelites understood that they must continue the business that Joshua had begun, and the book of judges begins on this particular point that they need to finish the business. Listen to me. The text begins uh, the, the text begins in judges chapter two, judges chapter one, verse number one. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? They understood we need to go to fight. Now, allow me to tell you something here that you need to appreciate. You see, the Israelites understand that Joshua is about to die. And we know that anytime a political leader leaves office... There's a potential for a political crisis. Unlike Moses, Joshua did not appoint a leader to take over him. He instead gave leadership of the nation to God. Uh, Joshua said, I may not be around. I may not be physically present, but it does not necessarily mean that you stop doing the business that God has called you to do. Uh, Let me help you to see it. In a way that you can appreciate. You see our Joshua called Jesus also died. He is no longer present. He is longer here but he gave us a business to do. And he said go ye therefore make disciples of all men. That is the business that God has called us to do. Jesus called us to do. Just because we do not see Jesus. The Yeshua. We don't see him. Does not necessarily mean we stop doing the business that God has called us to do. And I'm glad right here that the Israelites, they are continuing the business of Joshua. They say, you know what? Joshua might be dead, but the mission is still alive. Joshua may not be around, but we still need to do what God has asked us to do. So they asked the Lord, Lord, who should go first to attack the Israelites? Who should be the first one? And here God responds. He said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So I I just need to pause right here because this is something fantastic. Uh, God is saying to the Israelites, as you are doing my business, you will not fail. Oh, my goodness. I I don't know if if, if anybody's hearing me this morning. If you will do my business, you will not fail. Uh, Judah should go up and carry out my business. he is doing my business he ain't going to fail allow me to tell you a truth that you need to appreciate that is when you do what god has called you to do you ain't gonna fail you will succeed you will be successful and so god says judah should go up now, what I love about Judah is that Judah understood something that we may we 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 need to also understand. That is, just because God promises uh, success, does not mean that you shouldn't strategize. Ah, uh, let, let me help somebody right here. Just because God says you need to do my business does not mean that you put off your thinking and don't strategize and plan. You still need to strategize and plan. And so Judah devised a plan. It was a two-phase plan. The plan was like this. We're going to attack in the north. After we finish attacking in the north, we're going to attack in the south. And here it is. I want you to see the territory of Judah. It was the biggest territory in the land. It was the biggest territory of all the tribes. And here Judah began in the north. What they did is they traveled 30 kilometers up north to a place called Bezek and there at Bezek they got their first trophy. They killed 10,000 Canaanite men. After killing and acquiring their first trophy they got their second trophy. They killed a king called Adoni Bezek. Adoni Bezek was a cruel king. For fun, he would take other kings that he conquered. He would chop off their toes. He would chop off their fingers and then he would make them go on their toes and their fingers and then he would throw food to them for fun. But here the Israelites says, no, this is cruel. And they kill Adoni Bezek, cut off his fingers and toes and they drag him over to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, they captured their third trophy. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed it, but they didn't occupy it. So they finished their northern assault. And everything that they did, they were successful. But they didn't end right there. After attacking the north, they turned their sights to Hebron. Hebron was about 30 kilometers south of Jerusalem. They, they, they attacked Hebron. Defeated Hebron. After Hebron, it was Debir. After Debir, it was Horma. After Hormah, they went and they plowed the... Uh- the coast of 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 of, of the philistines and they took out three cities and as they are doing this they are just succeeding left and right because when you are fighting with god when you're going with god you will not fail and let me let me put it to you like this never carry out god's business without his lead Because when you have his lead, you are going to succeed. You say, I am afraid this morning that many of us are trying to do God's business without his lead. We live in a generation, Sister Selvi, that focuses on methodology and approach. If we live in a generation that tells you, if you do it like this and you do it like that, you're going to succeed. All you need to do is to follow certain steps. But I'm here to tell you that methodology approach without God being in the forefront, you're not going to succeed. Amen. You're not going to get there. You see, having God at the back and not in the front is like trying to push a train without an engine and you know what it is a train is on the tracks yes you may push it it may move but it's not going to move us as fast or as efficiently if it had an engine and many of us we are trying to do the work of the Lord we are trying to do things for God we are trying to step in for God but he is not a part of it how can we succeed And here I love Judah. Judah says, you know what, Lord? You have promised to us victory. You have promised to us success. So we're going to ride with you, Lord. We're going to go with you, Lord. We're not going to to worry about about what we can do. We're going to worry about what you can do. I don't know what you're trying to do for the Lord this morning. But you better make sure that God is in the forefront. Because when he's in the forefront, guess what? Everything that you do, he approves. Every strategy you employ, he approves. And he's, he's leading the engine. He's leading the success. He's leading the approach. And that is going to give you success. And so we come to a very interesting uh, conclusion in, 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 in how Judah carried out the business of God. And we read a fantastic analysis. This is how it goes. So the Lord was with Judah. Mm. The Lord was with Judah. And they drove out the mountaineers. Mm-mm-mm. But, see, pay, pay attention to this. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. Hmm. Because they had chariots of iron. So this is what is happening in the story. There is success. But there's also failure. Failure. There is half success, but there is half a failure. The Lord was with them. The Lord was with them, but they haven't fulfilled. They haven't finished the business. They have attacked the mountaineers, but they haven't attacked the people on the lowland. Let, let, let's do a little analysis right here. They are able to attack the mountaineers. Uh, it requires more energy. It is a lot harder to go up, but they are not able to succeed on the low land. They're able to succeed in the mountains, but they're not able to succeed in the plain. I'm amazed by this. But here, the writer of the story is trying to tell us they succeeded halfway. They did succeed all the way. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering right here, if this is not a story of your life, if it's, this is not a story of my life, that sometimes we are half successful, not 100% successful. And it's made me to realize that even though God may be in your corner, but you can still crash. And I'm wondering if their story is not a story of somebody who succeeds in having kids, but they crash in parenting. I'm wondering if their story is not about somebody who is good in ideas, but crashes in implementation I'm wondering if this is not a story of somebody who earns money, but crashes in saving the same money. I'm wondering if this is not a story of somebody who they they get into the right class and the right school, but they crash in their career. Succeeding, yes, but failing also. God is not interested in crashing and succeeding. God is interested in succeeding all the way. Because God has never, has never done things halfway. God has never succeeded halfway. God is not interested in that. Imagine if Jesus succeeded halfway. He lived a holy life, yes, but he crashed at dying on the cross. Where would we be? suppose a doctor succeeds in diagnosing your disease but they crash in failing to give you the right medicine where uh, would we be you see succeeding halfway is dangerous succeeding halfway is not good we need to be able to succeed all the way because we have God on our side we have the king of the universe on our side we have somebody who can never fail so when we fail it is a disgrace and a slap in the face of God they succeeded halfway and some of us we like succeeding halfway I, I at least I read I mean I didn't apply it but I read it I, at least I went I may not have been involved in anything but at least I went at least I exercised. I may not be eating correctly but at least I exercised. you know what I'm saying come on i went to school i didn't do all the assignments man i was in church maybe i was on my phone and whatnot but i I was in church succeeding halfway god ain't interested in that he wants you to do it all the way i read i applied and i served I went to school, I read, and I graduated. And I'm doing well in my career. Lord, I serve. I do it all the way. It may not be perfect, but I do it all the way. Not halfway. God ain't interested in half success. God ain't interested in that because he never does it halfway. The Israelites, the people of Judah, they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not succeed in the valley. Now, now here is what we need to understand. says Lara, why, why, why? What happened? Why did they fail in the lowland? Notice what the text says. Because, because they had chariots of iron. So, they, they were good up there. But when they get to the valley, they see that these brothers have chariots. You see, they, they were good in the mountains. They were good in climbing. That was their comfort zone. They were good at that. They could fight in their sleep on the mountains. And some of us, some things, we can just do it in our sleep. You know what I mean? It's it's just no no problem. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. You should play to your strengths. But the problem is, too many of us, we get stuck on our strengths. We look at our weaknesses as coronavirus. We want to stay away from them. But, but, But here it is. We need to be able to address our weaknesses as well. You see, the Israelites, the Israelites, they focused on the chariots that were in the lowland. They focused on technology that was superior to theirs. Their strategy was not able to meet the strategy that those who were living on the lowland had developed. They have chariots. We don't have chariots. They have advanced technology. We have old technology. Theirs is the latest. Ours is the past. Theirs is the best. Ours is the least. Theirs is good. Ours is bad. So we're not going to face them. We're going to turn around. They have technological superiority. But hear me carefully. Israel wasn't winning because of their technology or strategy. They are winning because of divine superiority. They were winning because they had God on their side. They were winning because they had somebody who created the human brain. They somebody who knew where gold came from. They somebody who knew where knowledge came from. They somebody who knew where diamonds came from. So no human being can ever compete with God. No Canaanite can ever compete with God. Hear me carefully. When you have God on your side... You have everything that you need. When you have God on your side, you are already superior. You see, the the writer of the story wants us to know that it's not the chariots that was a problem. He doesn't want to focus on that. He's trying to help us to understand the theological implication of the chariots. Uh, Pastor, you're speaking too high. Theological implication, implication, I don't understand that. You see, when we talk about theological implication, we're saying, God. the writer is trying to help us to see how they saw themselves in relation to God. And the chariots. How they evaluated the strength and the technology in relation to who God was in their life. When you have problems, how do you evaluate your problem in relation to God? You see, you might say, Pastor, I believe in God's superiority. God is good. God is powerful. But tell me, why are you stressed if God is so, is so good? Why are you anxious and can't sleep at night if God is so, is so good? You feel me? If, if, if yes, you believe God can provide, you, you believe that God can give you health, why are you stressed? Because the the reason why you're stressed is, yes, you want to believe that God is superior, but you just know that my problem is too much for me to handle. But because your faith experience has not yet matured to live where it needs to be, guess what? You put your problems above God. You put a chariot above God. And therefore, you are not able to see what God can do in spite of what you're going through. I'm telling you what God is trying to teach me. That I cannot look at my problems and make them bigger than my God. I have to look at my problem and say, you know what, Lord? You are bigger. You are stronger. You are mightier. And I need to trust you. I need to go with you and let me go to sleep like a baby. When you have God on your side, you have everything. Look at this. This is what Joshua told the people when he was dying. This is what he said. You are a great people. Somebody say I'm great. Somebody say I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm not great. <laughs> you are a great people. And have great power. This is what, this is what Joshua is telling the, the Israelites. And I need somebody here to know that. You are a great person. You have great power. You are not a weakling. Don't let your circumstances define you. Don't let them define you. Don't let your problems define you. Let God define you. You are a great people and have great power. So you will be able to drive out the Canaanites even if they have chariots. Even if they have chariots. You will be able to drive them out because you're great. And the reason for that is because God is in you. I love what one writer says. He who is in us is greater than he who is against us. I'm not here selling you fables, my brother and my sister. I'm not here selling you lies. I'm telling you what God is telling me. That because I have God on my side, because God is leading me, I should be able to stand up and face up and man up knowing that I have somebody who is greater than me, in me, and therefore I am, I am great. Uh, Let me tell you a little gospel truth. Challenges should not discourage you. They should encourage you. Have you not noticed, Andre, that uh, most people, when they see fire, what do they do? They run away. Uh, You feel me? They see fire, they run away. But firefighters, they see fire and they run too. Most people run away. Firefighters run too. That's amazing. Most people run away, firefighters run too. Why do firefighters run too? Firefighters have been trained to fight fires. Hmm, I'm coming. They've been trained to fight fires. They have sat in firefighting classes. They've been told by fire instructors that when you see fire coming When you see fire coming, it is an opportunity for you to utilize your gifts and your skills. It is an opportunity for you to test your fireman suit, to test the water holes, to test our strategy, to see if really what we have been training is real. So hear me, let me tell you a spiritual truth and I want you to take this to the bank. Because God is on your side. Because he has told you, you will succeed when I'm with you. When you see a problem, it's an opportunity to be happy and to smile because God is now about to use that problem as an opportunity to show himself mighty and powerful in your life. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the truth right there. Don't run away, run too. This is not to say you should go running and looking for problems. That's all I'm saying. Because let's, let's be real. I don't like problems. And I know you don't either. But when the problems do come, when the challenges do come, it's not time to run away. It is time to run too. It's time for you to lace up your faith shoes and say, Lord, I'm ready to go. It's time for you to take the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and say, you know what, Lord? I am ready to attack it. I'm ready to go after it. And so I will not avoid it. I will confront it. I will not be dismissive. I will be assertive. I will not turn my back. I will turn and face it. I will not be discouraged by my situation. I will say, Lord, it is time to fight. And therefore, I do not fight With man-made weapons, I fight with the weapons of faith. I get on my knees, I pray, I look at the scriptures, I let them inspire me, and I say, Lord, with you, we're going to succeed. With you, we're going to make it. You have money problems, pray about it and fight it. You have health problems, pray about it and fight it. I don't know what problems you face today, but stop running. Start running too. Face the fire. Face the fire. Don't turn away. Don't tag and run. Run to, not run away. Because, here's the point, you rely on God. God is your power. God is your strength. And that's why I love how one writer puts it out already. He puts it like this. A faithful reliance upon the Lord is the stoutest weapon in the armory of a nation or an individual. That's my weapon. It's not my strategy. It's not my skill. It's not the fact that I know how uh, to interpret a Bible passage. It's not because I I, I think I can preach. It's not because I think, you know, God has called me and I've gone to school. I have a degree. That's That's not what I rely on. I rely on God's ability. Let me tell you what I do. I spend time writing a sermon. Sometimes it takes me 10 hours to do it. But you know what? When I stand up here, I'm not even looking at my notes, though I wrote them for 10 hours. Because I don't depend on those notes. I depend on what God is able to do through me. So even you, when you go to the office, you have planned for the meeting, and you want to meet the boss, and you want to strategize with the team. That's good. But when you now go into it, you say, Lord, I have done it all. But Lord, it's time for you to do it all lord i have planned i have prepared but i will not trust my preparation i will not trust my plan i will trust you to change and use the plan for your glory and honor man plans but god directs his steps man plans but god says i will show you the way so we need to rely upon god Uh, now you see judah yes was able to Try to finish the business of God. We know that they failed. But when you read verse 20 all the way to verse number 36, we get a report of how the other tribes also try to carry out the business of God. Now, I want you to see how this report went. I put it all on the screen. Uh, It's not good uh, presentation practice to put a lot of points on, on one page. So forgive me for that, but I just had to be economical with the space. But allow me to show you The unfinished business of all the other tribes, not only Judah, all the other tribes. Check this. The tribe of Benjamin doesn't evict, they play nice. They make them their neighbors, the Canaanites, their neighbors. The house of Joseph, they destroy a city. A man escapes from the city, but they let the man rebuild the city. Mm -mm -mm. The tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim, they don't evict, they charge rent. Zebulun doesn't evict, charges rent. Asher doesn't evict, they charge rent. Naphtali doesn't evict, they charge rent. Dan retreats into the mountain out of fear of the Amorites. What this report shows, this unfinished business report shows, is that they were no longer walking by faith, they were walking by sight. They were no longer relying on God, they were relying on themselves. And that is why I will tell you today, you need to rely upon the Lord. You see, a power bank uh, is an interesting device. Um, And I think many of us own power banks. Hmm? 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 I own a power bank, too. Praise the Lord for a country like Indonesia because lights don't go out too often. But in my country, you better own five power banks because lights will be going out all the time. You know what I'm saying? Have mercy, mercy, my brother. That's the truth. (laughs) A power bank... It's an interesting tool because, you know, when people use a power bank, when they need it. If they're out of the house or they're traveling, they need a power bank. But if they're at home and they have a power socket, they will go to the power socket and I'll go to the power bank. So a power bank is something that is being used when it is only needed. And I think that many of us treat God like a power bank. We go to him when we need him, when we need wisdom, when we need money, when we need him to show the way. Lord, please help me. But help me. Let me tell you to understand. God is not a power bank. God is an essential service. And as long as he stays an essential service in your life, you will never be shut down, even if there's a shutdown. You will never not succeed when people are failing because you rely upon God. God is a socket, not a power bank. And we need to learn this morning that we should not treat God like a power bank. We need to treat him as somebody we need in good, in bad, in worse. Lord, I need you. I will follow you. I will go with you no matter what. I need you. I rely on you. I can't do it without you. You see, here now is where the story takes off because God now has to weigh in on the matter. His people have failed to finish his business. God has to weigh in on the matter, and he comes in the form of the angel of the Lord. Let me tell you, the angel of the Lord is a representation of the pre-incarnate Jesus. In other words, the Jesus before the Jesus we know. (laughs) The angel of the Lord came to the people of Israel, and he says to the people of Israel, he says, look at here, look at here, I took you from Egypt because of my grace. Not only that, I brought you into this land because of my grace. Not only that, I have kept my word that I will never break my covenant with you. You are my people. I am yours. I have done for you what you could not do for yourself. I did that. And the least that you could have done is at least finish my business. I'm coming to somebody right here. The least that you could have done is to finish what I called you to do. The least you could have done is say, the Lord has saved us, let us serve him. You see, God is like a a mother who, she goes through pregnancy, and she has morning sickness. And she has to go see the doctor. Her body changes shape, and she struggles with, with throwing up. She struggles with not being able to bend down to put on her shoes because the belly is so big. She struggles getting up and it's so painful and she gives birth to a baby and she pushes out. She, 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 because of what she did, she has, she has, she has a right to ask her son to obey. She has a right to ask her daughter to obey. And because of what God did, because of his gracious acts on our behalf, he has a right to ask you and me to obey him. God is saying, I did all of this for you. The least that you could have done by reacting to my grace is by you obeying me. At least finish my business. So when God is asking us to obey him, it's not empty demands. It is a demand that has substance. God says, "I, I, I stepped in for you. Can you now step in for me? I did it for you. Can you also do it for me? And so here, God, God is asking the Israelites, yeah, so let's, let's make a calculation here. I did for you. Why are you not doing for me? Isn't it right for me to ask you to at least, in fact, I'm not asking you to do it alone. Let me help somebody right here. I'm not asking you to do it alone. I just want you to join me in doing this i think frank is the only one who is listening i'm not asking you to fight the canaanites alone i will be with you i just need you to join you see christianity is a beautiful thing because god is not asking you to do christianity on your own god is saying i will be with you i will go with you do you want to come well I did everything, just come, just get in, just get involved, just do this. I will be with you, I will help you, I will guide you, I will lead you, I just need you to join. So when we say, Lord, no, it's too hard, what we're telling him is, Lord, I don't want to join. Lord, I don't want to follow you. And what we're trying to do is, make God do all the work, and that's not Grace. You can't ask God to do it all on your own, all on his own for you. There is something for you to do. There is something for you to get involved in. Your investment is to say, Lord, you died for my sins. Lord, you stepped in for me. So you know what I am going to do? I'm going to invest my time in the word of God. I'm going to invest my time in uplifting others. I'm going to invest my time in doing ministry. I'm going to invest my time in serving you. I'm going to invest my time in you. I'm just gonna go for the ride Lord I'll let you lead the way and I'll just follow follow your will and follow your purpose here is a devastating report to God's response to Israel's unwillingness to finish his business this is what God says therefore therefore always catch that therefore it is therefore because they didn't finish the business therefore because you didn't finish the business I will not drive them out from before you, but, but there will be a thorn in your side. And their God shall be a snare to you. Here is the first recycled grace truth. This is what you need to take. This is the first thing I want to give to you and deliver to you. God delivered this to me. Let me deliver it to you. What you fail to finish will trouble you. What you don't complete is going to trouble you. When I was, I was younger, my parents always used to tell me, Henry, do today's business today. Apply for the job today. Clean your room today. Wash your clothes today. Do not leave today's business for tomorrow. And that was good advice. But I must admit, I've never always followed that advice. Because sometimes I promise somebody I'm going to send you the document in one hour. But I forget to send it in one hour. And then they remind me maybe two hours later. But two hours later, I am at the mall trying to do some shopping and I get a message. Pastor, can you send me the document? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not in front of my computer. Wait a minute. I'm not at home. Wait a minute. Because I didn't finish it, it is troubling me. Now, hear me carefully. What we do not finish, what we do not complete is going to trouble us. And there are some things that you don't finish, it don't matter. Me not sending a document, I I, I can make it up later. But there are some things that when you don't finish, they're going to change your future. They're going to shape you in such a way that you will not, you will always regret and say, "Lord, I wish I hadn't, I hadn't not finished it." You see, God understood. If you do not let the Canaanites go out of the land, they are going to trouble you. In this series, you're going to understand what I mean by that. You will read and understand about a man because of the Canaanites not being evicted out of the land, he became a sexual addict because the canaanites were not evicted in the land a woman was cut up in 12 pieces i'm going to tell you all about that god wanted you to understand because of these canaanites your spiritual life is going to be in a mess your spiritual life is going to be messed up you're going to suffer drought your your crops are going to be plundered your children are going to be killed because you didn't finish it what things in your life have you not finished that are troubling you right now you didn't finish it it's troubling you right now you you didn't get rid of it it is still on your case you didn't get rid of him or her or them it is still on your case What you don't finish will trouble you. And I'm not talking about your your money being troubled. I'm not talking about your health being troubled. I'm talking about your spiritual life. There's some things in your life that you got to finish. You got to get rid of them so they don't trouble you and your future. So what you don't finish, what you fail to finish is going to trouble you. God says it is going to be a thorn in your side. It is going to prick you. And there's nothing I'm going to do about it. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The reason why God left the thorn, the reason why he said he's going to trouble you, because he understood that when they are troubled, they're going to seek me. When they are in pain, they're going to seek me. When it's not going good, they're going to come to me. So God left the trouble, God left the thorn as, as a sign of his grace. Uh, let me tell it to you. Some of the things that you face that are difficult, that are troubling you, they are signs of God's grace. Because God knows when you don't know where the bills are going to be paid from, you're going to get on your knees and say, Lord, I need you. When your health is bad because you you didn't take care of yourself, God knows. You will pray, Lord, help me to be healthy. Lord, teach me how to do this. When you're struggling to take care of your kids because you didn't didn't put in the right uh, guides and put in the right kind of uh, punishment or whatever it is, you're going to seek his face and say, Lord, I need you right here, right now. So don't be sad. About the thorns in your life. Don't be sad about the troubles in your life. Allow those to bring you to God. And say Lord I'm here again. I need your grace. I need your grace Lord. Lord you know this week. It got me. It really took me out. But Lord I'm glad that. I can still come to you. You know why I think this is grace? Because Paul said it. Paul says, a thorn was given to me. And Paul pleaded with God. says, Lord, Lord, take away the thorn. Take it away, take it away, take it away. I don't want this trouble. But God says to him, God says to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I will help you in your struggle. I will help you in your situation. I will guide you when you're failing. I will take care of you when it doesn't make sense. Do not worry about it being taken away. Come to me. I believe that some trouble, though self-inflicted, is a thorn of grace. Hmm. Because it recycles God's grace again and again and again and again. Now, now, now I'm not telling you that you should seek thorns. Let, let me let me straight with. You. I'm not saying, Lord, please give me thorns so I can seek Your grace. But what I'm telling you is that because of sin and our situation, we need things to always remind us we need God. Because I know I can easily forget God when I have no trouble. Praying is not uh, so. It's not so needed. You feel me? But when I have trouble, oh Lord, 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 I'm here again. Lord, Lord, I need, Lord. Because I it tells me I can't do this on my own. So please, my brother, my sister, I plead with you. Don't ask God to take away the thorns, but use those thorns to get closer to God. Amen. I'm coming, Lord, again. I'm coming, Lord, again. I need you again. Here's a sad thing. When God... To the angel of the Lord, the people don't say, "You know what, Lord? Okay, uh, we're sad for what we did." The, the, the text says they cry, but these were crocodile tears. You feel me? <laughs> they were crocodile tears. You know, a crocodile can cry while it is eating a gazelle. You feel me? It can. It can cry while it is. It, it is eating a gazelle. You see. It is hurting an animal, but it's still eating the animal. You and me need to see that sometimes when we cry over our sins and we don't change crocodile tears. The people, they cried out, Lord, forgive us. Lord, we we are sad. But notice what happens. Notice what happens. They renamed the place. They sacrificed an animal. And they went back to their homeland. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. God has said, You didn't finish my business. They cried about it. They renamed the place. They offered a sacrifice and they go back to their homeland. Now, for me, if they really meant their their tears, they would have said, You know what, Lord? We're going to buckle up and fight. You feel me? Because you have pointed out a mistake. We're not going to simply take that. We're going to use the mistake as motivation to do what you ask us to do. And so they should have taken this as an opportunity to finish the business that God had called them to do. They should have said, you know what, Lord, we will do your business. You know what, Lord, we will finish what you have called us to do. And so when God speaks to us and we feel convicted, we should not only stop at tears. We need to continue and do what he's asked us to do in the first place. We need to say, you know what, Lord, I will finish your business. I will take it to the finish line. I will go with you. I will not stop. I'm not sure this morning, but what business of God do you need to finish? Is it a program that God asked you to finish? Maybe that degree you haven't finished yet. Is it time to do that now? Maybe you started a dieting program. Is that time to do that now? Maybe you started a a Bible study. Maybe you started a prayer group. Maybe you started some kind of ministry. I don't know what it is. But is it time to continue that now? You see, when you look at Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. Mm -mm -mm. You see, Jesus told his parents, when they were trying to look uh, look for him at the temple, he says, I must be about my father's business. And he lived his life to finish his father's business. And there on the cross, he says, it is finished. I did it. I have finished your business, Lord. And God is calling you and I today to do the same. Lord, I will finish your business. I will not quit. Your grace is so good. Therefore, it is going to propel me forward. I don't know what business you need to finish this morning. But for me, I want to finish God's business for my life. And let me tell you what, as long as you're still breathing, you're not finished yet. Yeah, you may be finished in your career, you may be finished in your degree, you may be finished in other things, but as long as you're breathing, you're not finished yet. There is still business to finish. Every head is bowed, every set of eyes as we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. That today we have learned that we have a business to finish. We don't know what business we need to finish, Lord. You know. And I just simply ask you, please help us to finish the businesses of our lives. Wherever they are. Whatever they are. Wherever they're going to lead us. However much they require of us. We want to finish the businesses of our life. Father, we thank you. We appreciate you. We humbly say all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. See you next week for another version of Recycled Grace. Amen.